Hey guys, welcome back to Talk To Me Sister podcast. Season two. If you're new to the pod, we're twin sisters and a ton has happened since last season. Um, you had my baby. <laughs> I'm a cancer survivor. Kathy had my baby. The baby's here, happy and healthy. Yes, and we're advocates for women's health and we're gonna cover a lot of topics this season. So thanks for following along. Okay, guys, we're really excited today. Our friend Emily Gilmore is here. Emily received her doctorate of physical therapy from UAB in 2012. Her career has been spent in orthopedics and women's health. She received advanced training in dry needling, instrument-assisted soft tissue mobility, which I have questions about, (laughs) (laughs) and pelvic rehabilitation. It was her struggles after having children that sparked a passion for prenatal and postpartum rehabilitation. She enjoys offering community education on pelvic health and the postpartum period. So perfect so timing exciting. to have you. Yes. Perfect timing. Emily, we have so many questions and <laughs> Kathy and I are so excited to cover this topic. Will you tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you became specialized in the pelvic floor PT and just like maybe two fun facts about you. We want to know about you before we get started. Yes. Um, well, like I said, love y'all, love your story, uh, love all the things you're advocating for, for women's health. And this is like my largest soapbox standing up about like women's health and, um, pelvic health and happy to talk to anybody that wants to listen about it. So thank you for providing me that soapbox. So, um, yeah, we're excited. Yeah. So originally I started my career as just an orthopedic physical therapist. And I, you know, that put me kind of in an outpatient setting, dealing with all the things, back pain, knee pain, hip pain, all the things. And I had an interest in women's health. I thought it was a very actful kind of sub of physicality um, that you could really make some significant changes for people's quality of life. And so when mm-hmm. I was a baby PT about, you know, a year and a half out, I went to the course. And at the courses for our profession, you have to participate as both the patient and the practitioner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for pelvic floor, that means you're on the table <laughs> experiencing wow. like your patient's experience and um, I was like, wow, this is totally not what I thought it was going to be. I like can't do this, <laughs> right? So then <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> several years go by and I'm pregnant with my first child. I just like cruise along like everyone else and um, just roll up into the hospital like here to give birth, like with no preparation or training and then um, ended up having to kind of what I now know to be a little bit of a traumatic So I had, um, you know, pushed for two hours, had a grade three tear after a vaccine delivery and kind of was just like, this is what people do, right? I mean, doesn't everybody tear to their butt? (laughs) Isn't that normal? Yeah. Right. Uh. And I even kind of asked afterwards, my doctor, like, do you think I should? therapy for this. And he was like, oh, you, you know how to progress your exercises. Just go back to running, you know, at six weeks. And I was like, well, great. Oh, That's God. exactly what I wanted to hear. Cause uh-huh. I want to do anything that makes me feel like my old self. And you know, that first baby, you can kind of recover from a little easier. And then, you know, flash forward, she's 14 months old. I'm pregnant a second time. Mm-hmm. And that's when my second pregnancy was really when kind of the 
the tide washed out and you could really see the deficits and the lack of healing from my first birth that kind of all led to a lot of issues during my second pregnancy. So my second pregnancy, of course, like incontinence started at like 15, 16 weeks. I had debilitating SI pain and I was like, what? is happening. Like, I'm a physical therapist. I shouldn't be feeling like this. Right. <laughs> You're like, wait and, a second. Yeah. So my friend, so I like busted out my insurance card at pelvic floor physical therapy during my pregnancy with my second. And I couldn't believe how much it helped with the mechanical pain that I was experiencing during my pregnancy. But then when it came time to deliver, of course, I was like really worried about tearing through all the scar tissue from my first birth. So she did a lot of pelvic floor work and like my birth, my second time was so much different and I did not tear through any of that old scar tissue. And my little buddy was even nine pounds. And so (gasps) I could not believe the difference to where I was like, I felt the power of the pelvic floor, man. Oh my gosh. It's so encouraging for people who do have that fear of going back into a traumatic experience. (gasps) Totally. Oh my gosh. This is so incredible. So then I like wanted to stop every pregnant woman on the street and be like, you have to stretch your vagina. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I have to spread the word. Right. And so like, kind of experiencing pelvic floor therapy as a patient during my Mm -hmm. pregnancy, I really started to put the pieces together and be like, how much of stuff have I been missing around the hip with treatment of the low back with just ignoring the pelvic floor because I didn't want to deal with it or I didn't want to ask the questions or like I was going to be awkward about doing those type of treatments, you know? And so I, I, my friend, I tried to send her a patient And, you know, I, Hey, like, I think this patient has something wrong with her pelvic floor. And she said, Emily, I don't have time to treat your patients. Put on a glove and stop being a baby. People need help. People need it. Yes. And I I was really like, well, okay. Like, all right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) she gave me, thankfully, I'm so thankful to her because she gave me that like little push out of my comfort zone to be like, you have to do this. And and she told me, like, you want to help postpartum women. You can't help them the way that you need to without including the pelvic floor. Yes. And, and now so you're correct. helping so many women. It's so great. So really, yeah. like, my postpartum recovery with my son, of course, it was my second child around. I had no, not the appropriate healing from my first birth. So I had a diastasis, the SI issues that I had from my pregnancy to still heal my pelvic floor. And that really just like sent me on this crusade of like, what are we doing with postpartum care? Like I am in this profession and I'm having a hard time progressing my exercises. Like expect women to just know how to guide themselves back to high level activities like HIIT workouts and running and lifting. And not to mention that mothering in itself is extremely physically demanding and that, you know, any guidance in that. And so I just kind of started taking in all the resources and stuff that I could find and really found that there's not even good resources or training for people in our profession to deal with postpartum rehab. It's getting better, but it's mm-hmm. not what it should be. And so, I mean, my through my postpartum recovery, I was just thinking about all the different services that you would need and how much women would benefit from a collaborative approach between therapy and counseling and lactation and nutrition. And like, they need those, but they're all spread out. And I told my husband, I was like, I just wish I could create something like that. And he said, well, why don't you? So in August of 2020, I opened my own clinic. 
So amazing. I love that. Oh my gosh. There you go. Way to, go. Way to see the problem and just decide like if it's the solution isn't there, you're going to start kind of whittling away at it. I that love is that. so amazing. Women need and, answers. So that's incredible. Right. So your, your practice is in Birmingham, Alabama, right? Right. And so like the logistics, multidisciplinary practice are a little complicated. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like rounding up people from different professions. But yeah, I was kind of like, well, if I can at least get the therapy of it started and start yeah. with other birth professionals, then we can yeah. start at least building that really good multidisciplinary network for our patients where we can refer them to counseling or, or some of the doula and their prep sessions. And so then we're like all rowing in the same direction mm-hmm. for better birth outcomes, postpartum care. That's such a good resource for people. Um, and we will link all of that information like in our show notes for people mm-hmm. so they can check it out. Um, so I do have a question like going about the pelvic floor. So people who are listening and like have no clue what we're talking about. I feel like pelvic floor <laughs> is like a newer phrase. It's probably not to you, but like to us that are just like uh, learning about our bodies kind of for the first time when you're pregnant, like, yeah. you know, like all of a sudden we're like, oh, this is part of my body in a whole new way. Will you just tell people what a pelvic floor, what, what in the world include is included in our pelvic floor? It's not just our vagina, right? <laughs> of course not. Yeah. So the pelvic floor is actually the sling of muscles that sits in the base of the pelvis, right? And so we essentially have superficial and a deep layer, and they come together to provide several functions. So the main functions of the pelvic floor are sphincteric, right? So we want to keep things in like hoop um, and gas, solid and gas when we want to, we want to let them out at the appropriate time. So sphincteric function is a big function. Sexual function, obviously we need um, appropriate to uh, success, complete penetrative intercourse as well as good contractions um, during orgasm as well. Lymphatic drainage. So we have a lot of uh, vasculature there. So making sure that the lymphatic is getting out. So we don't really think about the pelvic floor as being part of the core, but really more than the wall and is the part of the core. So it's actually very important for pelvic girdle stabilization. So because so many of the pelvic floor um, are bowel, bladder, and sexual, a lot of people don't really associate those with muscle problems. They think about, well, I'm leaking when I run. That's a bladder problem. But a lot mm-hmm. of times the bladder is okay. It's that the muscles that should be it are not. Are not. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. I, so, I mean, like, they're just muscles, and I yeah. feel like this is kind of where we kind of lose it on the diagnostic front because they're just Mm -hmm. muscles and they can have the same issues as any other muscle in your body. They can be tight. They can be spasmed. They can have poor endurance, limited coordination. They can be weak. I mean, and so they can have the same issues as our quad, but because so many of the the symptoms are bowel, bladder, and sexual, a lot of times people don't even look at the musculature surrounding all these things. That's so interesting. I, Kathy and I, (laughs) when we were prepping for this episode, we, I even said, I was like, I didn't even understand what a pelvic floor therapist was, or that was a thing until I had my hysterectomy. And we, Kathy and I had been talking about it and I was Googling things because my body changed so much. And I had never linked that like, 
you know, oh, I'm working out again after a year. I feel like I'm peeing my pants. Like that's like a muscle thing, not like my bladder is something's wrong with my bladder. Well, I feel that's like, like too, TMI, but I mean, yeah. there's no such thing as TMI in this podcast. <laughs> no, I know. I was gonna say we're gonna probably deep dive. So if we you have. if you uh, have issues now, you probably should stop listening, <laughs> right? Yeah, or keep um, listening. But yeah, I feel like listening. too. You said it's a muscle issue, yeah. and with birth we have injury, like injury to those mm-hmm. muscles, right? Like, so when you had your tear, I had a, a third degree with my daughter and like you tear muscle at that point, right? So you have like oh, an yeah. injury. Right. I mean, and anything, a second degree tear by definition involves muscle. Yeah. A second degree tear means that there is muscular, uh, muscular involvement. A third degree tear and fourth degree tear means there's involvement of the anal sphincter. And so, I mean, if you think about those, those are hugely important muscles and incontinence, be it um, urine, feces, or gas is extremely debilitating for some people. And that causes anxiety and them avoiding certain things. And so many of those issues are are muscular and involve coordination, right? So you need to get the right muscles Mm -hmm. contracting at the right time so that we're contracting when we want to and relaxing when we need to. And so um, you know, out here in Kegel Nation, right, which is like all <laughs> pelvic floor is just yeah. like, do your Kegels. And I'm like, most people don't even do them correctly. So I want to take like two seconds and explain an appropriate Kegel. Oh my gosh. Please, please do. do. Please do. We need to know this. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm going to do them right now. All right. Someone told me to do them. Someone told me to do them post hysterectomy to build muscle, you know, whatever. And yeah. I'm like, do so they said do them at red lights. Have you heard this? Uh, of course. Yeah, that's all so, you hear. Right? Te- so teach us. Yes. Okay. So because we have a superficial and a deep layer of the pelvic floor, I want you to think about an elevator, right? Because an appropriate Kegel involves a squeeze and a lift. So if you think about the superficial layers as shutting the doors and the deep layer as lifting, right? So when you do an appropriate Kegel, you squeeze and you lift up towards your head if you're standing, and then you have to be able to come all the way back down. So working through the full excursion of squeeze, lift all the way up, and then come all the way back down is just as important because some people get stuck at the top and their elevator never comes back down and you can have problems there either. So doing a thousand Kegels at the red light and never working on length and relaxation can be detrimental as well. So I don't love the blanket advice of Kegels because... Number one, some people have pelvic floor problems that don't need them, and actually Kegels can make them worse. But that's all we ever hear about mm. is just like oh. Kegel, 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 right? Interesting. Yeah. It can make it worse. And I also, is, is it, it's Kegel, not Kegel. People say it differently. I know that's not like, that's like, yeah, I mean, tomato, tomato, Alabama, <laughs> I say, right? Kegel, Alabama. Yeah. Okay, good. We're there with you. Oh, that's so interesting. And so that can help prevent injury too, or is it that just, is a Kegel just like a healing thing or can it well, be again, strengthening? We want strength and length through the full range, right? So like if your pelvic floor is super tight, it cannot be strong there either. And you can have lots of problems with an overactive pelvic floor. So we want strength and length, right? So you want to be able to be strong through the full range and then be able to relax completely through the full range. Because a lot of our functions for the pelvic floor, like releasing your bowels and completely emptying your bladder and um, successful penetrative intercourse all require full relaxation. And you can't Mm -hmm. have those functions successfully if you're really tight and contracted all the time. And if we think about birth, I don't know who thought 
of the advice of give 500 Kegels a day when you're pregnant. Cause I'm like, why would we want these muscles in the tightest, right. most contracted state right before they get the biggest stretch of their life? <gasps> Interesting. That I is guess. so true. What have we been doing? Yeah. We're, we got to bust the myths, man. <laughs> we got to bust do it. So <laughs> we want busted. to, we want to like really practice relaxing those, which I, right. I do like with my second birth, I had a similar experience as you where my first one had some trauma. It, it still was actually great. Um, but I did have that third degree. It was actually like, I didn't consent to an episiotomy and mm-hmm. anyway, anyway, third degree episiotomy and the recovery was the hardest part. Right. And then like, of course, I'm really practicing for birth the second time. And a lot of what I'm practicing is relaxing. Like when you're preparing to like, just kind of uh, relax through the discomfort and through the pain and like, you know, let it wash over you and all of that kind of like <laughs> hypnobirth situation. And I'm like, it's kind of, it, I, I started like focusing on that a little bit more the second time. And I'm like, man, I wish I had done something after my first birth, I didn't even know physical therapists could do PT. Like that's incredible. Um, and now we're, everybody knows. So all of us need to go connect for sure. We are excited to have Seeking Health back as a sponsor for season two of the Talk To Me Sister podcast. If you want quality vitamins, you can use our code SISTERS2 for 10% off your next order. This exclusive coupon gets you 10% off your next order. That's SISTERS2. Visit SeekingHealth.com. Well, I think what is something that we've got to move the needle with in this country is that, you know, third degree tears are almost a full thickness muscle injury. And if you compare that to another part of the body, if you compare that to almost a full thickness rotator cuff pair, those people would have surgery. They would have automatic probably eight to 12 weeks of rehab. They Mm -hmm. would have guided progressions through the whole thing. And then you have almost full perineal tears that could happen during birth or on the other side, a cesarean birth where they Mm -hmm. cut through the abdominal wall and there's no guidance or direction for that of how do do we teach these muscles to function well within the system to do what they're supposed to do. Right. Right. So I have a question. After that happened to you, your doctor was like, well, you know, after your six weeks, you can take off running. So now looking back, that's not the advice, right? That you would, if another woman in that situation, like what advice would you give them not to just like take off running, but to do like build up rehab until they take off running? Does that make sense? Like, Absolutely. I mean, as far as my recommendation, I would love in my lifetime before I die that like every woman that had birth would at least have access or it would be standard of care for physical therapy after birth, regardless of vaginal or cesarean birth. In regards to return to running, I say six weeks starts the rehab period, but I almost Ah. recommend running before 12 weeks. And there's a certain number of tests that you can kind of go through to see if somebody's ready to run in regards to, can you do this move? Can you do that move for how many minutes? And then you need to work up from an interval to running, not just throw on your shoes and go hit three miles. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's good advice. Yeah. So this is great advice. Let's talk about pregnancy, about a a couple questions there, but I do want to focus on postpartum because I think that's where most people are like trying to make an improvement on their pelvic floor. Right. Um, But during pregnancy, are there things you can do to prevent 
like the diastases or like incontinence during that time? Can you start physical therapy during pregnancy? Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of fear around diastasis recti. And honestly, we could have like a whole podcast on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure it's we could. A real deep dive on that. <laughs> but there's a lot of fear like, oh no, if I do a plank during my second trimester, I'm going to bust it wide open and have a four finger width gap. It's going to take me forever to cover, recover from. Mm-hmm. And that's simply not the case. It's not a tearing. It's a thinning of that tissue in the midline. And it's a natural adaptation for you to be able to carry a pregnancy full term. And so I tell my patient, my pregnant patients, like, don't worry about it. Like you're going to cone, you're going to have thinning in that midline during pregnancy because you have to, for your abdomen to support the baby. And that is one of our great kind of natural adaptations for a full-term pregnancy. Now there are exercises that you can do that kind of really help focus and strengthen those deep abdominals and get lots of good core strength that I think help people recover. And in regards to like the incontinence with pregnancy, it's very typical. You'll talk to a lot of people that have it, but almost always it can be treated because a lot of times there was a little bit of pre-existing pelvic floor dysfunction that it was kind of like right on the edge of like, eh, maybe they leaked a little when they did double unders or box jumps, but now that they're pregnant and, you know, again, some of those other muscles can't compensate as well. Some of those pelvic floor dysfunctions start earlier and they can totally be treated during pregnancy. So whether you do like internal work during pregnancy or not, I usually want to have clearance from the physician and of course patient consent. But a lot of times it becomes more of those kind of coordination issues or that their pelvic floor is kind of getting tighter with pregnancy and can't be efficient at the end range. Interesting. Isn't it amazing? Like that, those are natural adaptations that our body does and we're, you know, it's just a miracle. I don't know if, honestly, I've never had either of these problems and I've had three pregnancies. I mean, I've had other pregnancy woes for sure, but I, I'm wondering, like I, I have stayed pretty active even with like uh, safe abdominal exercises during pregnancy, like nothing on my back, but like a plank or like something standing. I mean, I've seen my abs separate, but they've generally kind of gone back to where they need to go, Yeah, which I feel like really good. But I feel like, is that, is that because I was kind of active and not afraid to do those things? I think core strengthening without pregnancy helps, but honestly, we don't have good research to really identify Mm. the factors that put people at risk for one that that stays after 12 weeks. And sometimes, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, I have one immediately after birth. And I'm like, we all do. Yeah. See how it looks at 12 weeks. Like, so we start working on it at six weeks, that postpartum appointment. I'm like, we're going to be working on this deep core. We're going to be working on it all. But like, do not check your gap every day. It's in major healing mode and you get a real good picture of where things are at more at like 12 to 14 weeks. But also I tell people like they can take a little while to heal. And so even if you still have a little bit of gap at 12 to 14 weeks, that doesn't mean you can't exercise. That doesn't mean you can't move. You're not going to blow it wide open. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue to improve your function. That's Mm -hmm. such a good reminder for everybody, Mm -hmm. especially like I have the same conversation with postpartum women with like the weight loss part. Like we can't rush it. Our body took uh, nine months months. (laughs) to put on the weight, but also to grow our human and our Mm -hmm. abs separated in that time. So just like we can't rush the weight loss, we can't rush our, our muscle healing either. I'm sure. Right. 
Wow. So uh, I do have a quick, one more quick question about lightning crotch. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there's... Terrible. What is that? What is there a medical term for that? But also I found that like that lightning crotch, which if someone who is not pregnant is listening, it's, it's fine. Listen, but it's just like, it like takes you out. It's like, there's a knife in your crotch. It is. What is that? Mine got worse with each pregnancy where I would like bend over it. I would like fall to the ground and Sarah would be like, Oh my gosh, the baby. Yeah. <laughs> I know I had it bad with Charlotte too. Is it, is it related to the pelvic floor? Like what is that? So a lot of times and lightning crotches, like that's a very accurate description of what it feels like. <laughs> it feels like that. The worst. Shocking. It can be kind of scary if it's your first pregnancy and you're like, why am I getting such extreme pain in my crotch? Yeah. So there can be two, essentially two kind of culprits of that. I would say the most typical culprit is the round ligament, which goes from the pubis to the uterus. And so a lot of times people transition too quickly. So they stand, they're sitting and they pop up and you get a quick stretch of that round ligament and it's like, wow, right oh, to the crotch. That's, it. that's yeah. it. Yeah. So for people that are having a lot of round ligament pain, I would say slow your transitions, try to do a couple pelvic rocks before you hop up. And so you don't just get this really quick lightning stretch of that round ligament. So a lot of times, if you go through really rapid periods of growth with your, when you're pregnancy, you know how like some of those days you're just like, man, I totally exploded overnight. (laughs) Yes. That round ligament hasn't had time to kind of gradually stretch and it's going to be much more sensitive to those quick transitions, but improving pelvic mobility and getting some stretches to the front of the hip can really help with that. Oh, that's incredible. Mm. But Good. the, the wish... other more kind of sinister culprit of uh, lightning crotch can be pubic symphysis dysfunction. And that's where kind of both sides of the pubis come together in the front and that area can separate. And that feels more like a shearing or a tearing. And it tends to be right on the midline of the pubis, especially with single leg activities. Like if you're putting on your pants or your mm-hmm. stairs and that one can be quite debilitating. And so I would say if you're feeling pain at your pubis with single leg activities, stairs, things like that, you definitely need to get some treatment during your pregnancy. So that doesn't get worse because it can be, can be really debilitating for some patients. Wow. That's That's good to know. Great advice. People don't know that to even like, I think sometimes we brush off stuff like that and just like grit through it, but it's like, we can do something about it, which is right. Cool. Okay. So let's jump to postpartum. Um, we, I know we're covering like so much, so just, you know, shorten this as much as possible, but just like three quick tips for postpartum periods. Um, you know, one of them may just be like resting and taking it easy, right. Or like something to look forward to, but what are some things we can do for our pelvic floor health postpartum, maybe in those first, you know, six to 12 weeks? Sure. I would say most acutely and most importantly, those first few, um, especially day one and beyond is bowel management. So nothing is scarier than that first poop after you have a baby. Mm-hmm. And so appropriately managing your bowels, being aware of what medications you're giving, getting in the hospital and which of those contribute to constipation because opioid induced constipation is a big deal. And right. you have a a healing pelvic floor, you had a tear or you have stitches, getting constipated is not good, right? Yeah. So I, ter- that's terrible. It's, and people who have C-sections and who yep. are on significant op- opioids have a lot more trouble with this, I think. Right? Absolutely. And so yeah. I'm 
recommend everybody get a squatty potty. You need them when you're pregnant anyways. Get- oh, for sure. I've <laughs> said it just too. In, just in life. Right? They're better for you anyways. Everyone needs yeah. to it to appropriately manage um, the stool softeners as directed by your provider and then really try to kind of learn to exhale and relax your pelvic floor when you're going number two and not really muscling it out. Um, so really kind of minimizing that straining during the first postpartum period. And that goes with cesarean birth as well. And sometimes if you're, if you had a cesarean birth, kind of bracing that incision with a little towel roll can really help with comfort. The other suggestion I would have is like your general rice principles, rice, uh, rest, ice, compression, elevation that we would use for an ankle sprain hold true with postpartum recovery. So I'm like, get a decent ice pack, one that is gel and not the crappy ones that they give you in the hospital, but get a Mm -hmm. decent one that you can actually sit on, um, can be hugely helpful. Of course, resting your body, resting your pelvis, allowing yourself that gradual time to be able to heal. I mean, you shouldn't be worried about walking two miles before two weeks, right? Right. I'd expect that with any kind of other orthopedic surgery. Um, I think compression garments are kind of underused for the postpartum period, but they have good um, postpartum support shorts, panties, leggings. Um, There's a really good panty called the sea panty that's really awesome for a cesarean birth because compression to that area is going to help minimize swelling and aid with healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then elevating and taking time to rest would be Um, some good advice for that most acute postpartum period. In regards to after six weeks, I would I just try to encourage people like your body's in a major healing state. You have Mm -hmm. to give grace with your return to activity. You know, we have bounce back nation, right? Where you're just like, yeah, you should be running a marathon by 20. And (laughs) I think we don't give our body enough credit that like you changed everything over 10 months, your foot mechanics, your knee, your hip, your posture. You have this new breast size to deal with. Everything is changed and you need to give your body appropriate time to heal. Because if you actually gradually have things, then the return to activity is a lot more successful. If you rush it and you're just back to everything at six weeks, typically they're hurt by like four or five months and they're in therapy anyways with plantar fasciitis or an IT band issue, or they're leaking a ton with exercise and kind of avoiding it altogether. So it's a lot less discouraging if they just heal well from the start. It's so great. I love the solidarity too, because it's just like a reminder that we don't have to bounce back. It's just like encouragement. It's mm-hmm. like you've you're you're a superhuman. Everybody listening who has given birth, <laughs> right? And wow. I mean, a lot of times, you know, people don't even know how they want to walk. They want to get outside. I mean, I would totally stir crazy when I was home with my babies. But I think a nice guideline in the immediate postpartum period, especially while you're still bleeding, if mm-hmm. your bleeding is slowed down and you do something and it speeds up, you're doing too much. Oh man, I wish I'd have known that. Listen, that's a good, I didn't even know about compression panties. Right. This like great. I had no idea those existed. Right. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of them out there. So like those things can be really helpful. And of course, like I would love everybody to see a pelvic PT initiate their own referral to that at six weeks. Cause um, you know, it, it, a lot of times if you wait for it to be brought up, it might not be. Yeah. That's good advice. Yes. Can we talk about intercourse? Of course. Um, Let's jump to that because I know so many women out there. I mean, after babies, things change as we've been talking about. Complications from a hysterectomy. I don't know if endometriosis is related to 
pelvic floor issues, but just like painful intercourse. So can you address that? And like, what are some things women can do to kind of help uncomfortable sex? Or when is like the moment that they would need to go see a pelvic floor therapist? When would that be beneficial? Yeah, this is a giant. Let me just go throw this out there. That drinking wine and relaxing is not. Okay. Mm. Hate that. Say that again. <laughs> I hate to hear when patients no. say, well, my provider just told me to drink wine and relax. Like that is not a solution. <laughs> and when that work, people feel like there's something me, I'm a failure, terrible. Yeah. And there's way more options to exhaust than that. Right. right. Okay. So, Good. all right, Woo, here we go. Let's do it. All right. I'm so ready. first of all, you know, lots of people can have pain with intercourse and children, right? So it's not necessarily a thing that's always happening in the postpartum period. Sometimes this can come on during pregnancy. Sometimes this can come on from the very first sexual experience. So how much does the pelvic floor have to do with sex? Like everything, right? Because you have to have enough length and enough relaxation of these muscles to achieve Mm -hmm. penetration. And so if those muscles are inherently very tight, they need more length, right? And so there's several Mm -hmm. things that you can do to improve the mobility of those to make intercourse more successful. So sometimes that may involve kind of manual stretching within like a pelvic floor physical therapy office, but usually they have to do some of that on their own too. You can use dilators, which can take things from a very small like as small as a Q-tip that you get Mm -hmm. used to inserting and work your way up to the size that you need to be at to achieve sexual goals. You can, so there are tons of options as far as improving mobility, as far as positional changes that you can make to make things more comfortable with intercourse, because some people have pain with insertion and some people with deep penetration. Mm -hmm. So insertional pain tells me this is more of a superficial pelvic floor problem because they may not be able to even get anything in, but deep penetration is still a problem with the pelvic floor um, with more of those deeper muscles. So you can do a ton with that. As far as the postpartum period, scar tissue mobility is a huge deal. So, Mm. I mean, scarring is a normal part of healing. It's nothing bad, but that scar tissue has to be mobile. So if that scar tissue is kind of pinned down and not moving well, then you'll start to spasm around it. And it can be a huge contributor to sex and the nice pain with sex. And the nice part about scar tissue is it's not contractile. So once you mobilize it and you get it moving well, so it glides with all the tissues around it, it usually is not that big of an issue anymore, but totally treatable. Wow. That's good. So I feel, I feel like with sex, people are frustrated and impatient. So say, you know, you go to a pelvic floor therapist and you start these exercises, like when can women anticipate seeing results? Like after you start these exercises and things, you know? Well, that obviously kind of depends on the severity of the issue because somebody that's never been able to have penetrative intercourse, Mm -hmm. that's going to be a little bit longer than somebody that was and now can't. Right. Right. And so the severity impacts that. But like, I know in my sessions, we get down and dirty first visit. I'm like, all right, I need, (laughs) what kind of lube are you using? Which positions are you doing? (laughs) We can maybe make some changes there. It's really important because the brain wants to inherently guard that area. And so it's really important. I tell my patients, like we need it to be as pain-free as possible. And we need Mm -hmm your brain to associate that area with good things and not with pain. And Mm -hmm. so we've got to find that kind of 
pain-free threshold so that your brain's not always associating every time that area is being touched or stimulated with a painful sensation because then you'll start guarding before it ever starts. People too are kind of embarrassed to talk about this. So I love that you said you have like a mission to say like, this is what we're going to do. It's not going to be a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Normalize it. We're going to, well, and I mean, sexual function is such a basic function of human life, right? And I don't understand why providers shy away from asking about it. I'm like, this is stuff that really impacts people's lives and their relationships. And like, we need to be asking questions. We do. We hear about it. (laughs) Yeah. So actually in my twenties, I suffered from like early twenties, suffered from like tons of UTIs. I know that has nothing to do with what we're talking about and just like painful set, you know, all those things. And my OB, or I guess it was my practitioner, just said I needed antibiotics. And I don't know if it was, I, it always got me thinking, like, are providers, like, when women come in and say sex is painful, is that a normal thing for them to say, oh, now you need to go see a pelvic floor therapist? Or do you find that they're masking issues with medications? Or, like, is that... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say that chronic UTIs can be indicative of a pelvic floor problem because they can really be completely emptying their bladder. And especially if that's associated with painful intercourse, a lot of times the pelvic floor may be on the tight end of the spectrum and not relaxing all the way for things to be totally emptied. And pelvic dysfunction can mimic some symptoms of a UTI. So if you go get checked and you don't have anything in there and your cultures are all negative, but you still have urgency and frequency and burning, Mm -hmm. a lot of that can be symptoms of the pelvic floor. Um, Sorry, quick. Wanted to clear. That is so good to I'm I'm like shook right now because Kathy and I literally a couple weeks ago were like, remember when I was in and out of the urology office when I was like 24 and no one could diagnose me? Right. And yeah, so I think, wow, I, I should have probably there's a couple of you. years to diagnosing. I think number one, if you're getting a gyne- gynecological exam and they put a speculum in, you've totally missed any component of the musculature. So then, you know, we're looking for organs. We're looking at uterus and cervix and things like that. But the speculum has taken up any evaluation that you would have of the muscles. I mean, no MRI or X-ray or CT scan is going to show um much muscular issues. So those tests look normal. So then diagnostically, I mean, there's no lab tests, there's no imaging that shows it. So people are like, well, shoot, I don't know what it is, or it's in your head. Right. You need to do uh, your accent. It's in your so head. Cute. Yeah. That's not the case. Yeah. Well, I don't know what's wrong. I love that. <laughs> <Body> <laughs> <Sarah. relax. laughs> Just have I a glass that. of wine. Have a glass um, of wine. Sarah, will you, I think we should jump down to number six. Number six. Numbers. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I love um, this. Okay. I can, we could do. We could talk about this all. Gosh, day long. I know. We we didn't talk about so many things. Like, gosh, we need. We're to gonna have you have back. You back. Yeah. We're gonna have you back because we need <laughs> you to tell us more about exercise and think preventative things yeah. and For gosh, sure. so much. But um, we're hitting the forty-five minute mark, and Kathy and I always like to ask our guests. Like, we need a little bit of a word of advice. There's a lot of women listening, moms, women, just all across the board listening. Um, Could you give us just one piece of advice for listeners that maybe are struggling or like, are just frustrated and don't know what to do in your field? Like, what is a piece of advice that you give women? 
I mean, first of all, I would say, you know, trust your instincts. If you feel like something is wrong with your body, just because it's typical and you pull your friends and like, oh yeah, three out of my five friends have pain with sex and pee at the trampoline park with their kids. If you're feeling like just because things are typical and a lot of people are experiencing them does not mean that they're normal and cannot be treated. So you've got to advocate for yourself. Pelvic floor physical therapy is not the standard of care. A lot of providers don't know about it. There may not be good access to it. There aren't as many providers that do it. So being able to advocate for yourself, do your research and find the provider that's worse for you because ultimately mothers have to have, they have to fill their own cup. Um, mothering is so physically demanding. You're lifting, you're literally doing 500 deadlifts a day. So really taking the time to fill your cup and heal your body will just make mothering easier and more comfortable. And especially if you're talking about, um, subsequent children and pregnancies down the road. Oh man, that that is such good encouragement. Emily, you are a gem. (laughs) This is like this, this has just been an incredible conversation. Um, I learned so much and I would love for you to tell people where they can connect with you on socials or, and do you have recommendation for when people looking for physical therapy in their area? Yeah, so there's a couple of different directories online. Pelvicguru.com has a pelvic floor directory that different pelvic floor therapists can register on that you can check by city, state, or zip code. Most of the time when you're um, Googling things and you can Google pelvic floor physical therapy, more areas have them. If they don't, there are several that are doing telehealth and you can do a ton even on the patient education front for helping with different things. Um, So even if you can't see somebody in person, you can still get some decent advice um, with telehealth evaluation and treatment. Of course, do you guys do telehealth like virtual visits? We can, yes. Okay, Oh, that's awesome. So we're in Birmingham, of course, if you need us here. Um, And then I have an Instagram account on prenatal and postpartum recovery and pelvic floor and some life. um, And it's at Mothers on the Mend. And then my clinic page is at Thrive PTAL. And both of those have pelvic floor tips, exercise series, rants about our terrible postpartum care, you know. (laughs) We love a good rant. Love it. But I mean, that's so great. And that's such a great resource. We're going to check it out. And for women also wanting to see like exercise options and just more about you. So we're going to We'll do a deep dive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Deep dive. Emily, thank you so much. We have we just enjoyed it and we'll probably have you back. <laughs> We're going to need to have you back because we have more to talk about. But thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Emily, right. thank you so much. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Also, make sure to check out our Amazon show, store. Thank you.